managing and protecting the world's grueling number of endpoints, enabling Tanium's customers to see, control, and protect every endpoint everywhere. Tanium's mission is to provide certainty in uncertain times with the industry's only converged endpoint management. Trusted by the U.S. military and the majority of the Fortune 100, Tanium helps manage and protect nearly 30 million endpoints. Tanium, the power of certainty. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Tanium to learn more. Welcome back to Enterprise Security Weekly. Join us at an upcoming official cybersecurity summit in a city near you. This series of one-day, invitation-only, executive-level conferences are designed to educate senior cyber professionals on the latest threat landscape. We are pleased to offer our listeners $100 off admission when you use code SECWEEK23 to register. That's S-E-C-W-E-E-K-2-3. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash cybersecurity summit to learn more and register today. All right. For our next interview, Ross Halleluk joins us today to talk about product-led growth, about building cybersecurity products. And depending on how the conversation goes, we could go down all sorts of different paths like angel investing, how to build a successful newsletter, what a cyber collective is. This guy does all kinds of cool stuff. Welcome to the show, Ross. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, and we're we're happy to have you here. Uh, you definitely, you know, popped up a lot. I, I think on on all of our radars with a lot of the work that you do. I started following your newsletter, seeing some of your posts on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn has just become this great place uh, for conversation. That I think a lot of the conversations I used to have on on Twitter, you know, maybe are on LinkedIn or maybe they're different conversations, but. Um, but yeah, you, you, maybe we should start with how you got uh, into security in the first place, because you haven't always been in security, right? I haven't always been in security. And in fact, uh, I am one of the not too many people who cannot make a statement that I, you know, I have 20 plus years of experience in the industry. So uh, I have been in product management for quite a long time, uh, probably about 10 plus years. And uh, I have had the chance to work across a number of different industries. So I was in fintech, in e-commerce, retail, wholesale. And then a couple of years ago, uh, a co-founder of Lima Charlie has reached out and was like, hey, uh, this is what we are building and we would like to have you join us ahead of product. And so at the time, I, I mean, my, my exposure to security has, has been fairly limited. And what I ended up doing, I had a fantastic conversation with the founder and then I went home and I started, I started looking into the industry, trying to understand how it functions, what are the different players. And ultimately, after a couple of hours of research, I went back to him and said, you know what, I'm not doing this. This is insane. And so the reason, the reason that happened was because, you know, for somebody coming from the outside of the industry, just looking at the space and trying to make sense of all the acronyms, all the abbreviations, all the MDRs, NDRs, XDRs, SIM, source, and on and on and on was just way too overwhelming. But as you can as you can see, I ended up going back on my decision, and here I am today after a couple of years in the industry. I love the space, and I, I really, really enjoy being here. So, so somehow, so how... What was it, D? Like, okay, how much money do you need? Like, how, how did he talk you into it after you were like, heck uh, no? 
No, so you see, it wasn't really about money. It was more so that, uh, like, I started looking uh, looking a bit more into the space, and what I came to realize is that one, the industry is growing rapidly, and two, as much as I have always seen my background that is, you know, not like, as much as I have seen you know, the absence of the strong security background, a weakness at the time. And, and there are still cases when, you know, like my, my ability to, to comprehend a certain technical topic is limited. But I did also see the strength and the, I guess, the advantage of coming from a different space and having a different lenses on, on product in particular. So it was, it was a bit of a, it was a process of me convincing myself that yes, you know, I can do it, and this is interesting. And honestly, I think it has been the best, like one of the best decisions in my career. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the chaos is one of the things that I can't speak for Katie or Tyler, but uh, that draws me to it. You know, I was diagnosed with ADHD later in life. You know, in my late thirties. Uh, but when I was diagnosed, it made a lot of things clear to me. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, on the market side, things are happening all the time uh, on the, you know, threat side, you know, defense, off offense, everything, you know, it's just the never ending flow uh, of stuff to learn and understand, which is, which is what drew me towards it. Yeah, there is that. But frankly, I think the other thing that really, really, uh, became apparent to me after some time in the industry is just that the number of people who come into this space for motives other than money, is actually much higher than in many other industries. For example, when you work in fintech, like you're primarily running into people who came who came into fintech because you know the pay is good and and there is there is a certain uh, size of the market opportunity. But when you when you work in cybersecurity, you meet people day after day who ended up in security because that's the passion of theirs. That's something like they, they have that sense of mission, sense of community, sense of uh, purpose and sense of service that you don't see in, in many other spaces. Yeah, mission, so you mission mentioned, oriented. Obviously, you came in from the outside to a degree and you just talked about people coming into the industry because they're mission driven, they're purpose driven. What would you say for you when you were, quote, convincing yourself that this was a good role, what were some of the qualities that think served you well to come back here? And what do you think are some of the qualities as companies are looking for more diversity and inclusion that they should be looking for? Because I think you make a really great point about sometimes it's actually better to come with an outside perspective because you see something with fresh eyes. You don't know the limitations. You don't know the guardrails. You don't know necessarily you don't have those you know the those tints on your glasses that would make you say eh, we shouldn't do this so what are some of those qualities that that helped you succeed and that you see in others that you say hey hey bring those to the industry uh that that is a fantastic question and i think the number one would probably would probably be just having the natural curiosity and and the ability to ask questions and then having the humbleness to admit that one, you don't know everything, but two, the boundaries of your knowledge are actually much, much more narrow than, than they are for many other people coming with, with, with the domain expertise. So to me, the number one thing that has allowed me to learn and, and grow uh, a lot over the past couple of years was really just the ability to ask questions and say, hey, you know what, I like, tell me more. 
And I know, like some people, some people at Lima Charlie make fun of of me because that's really the quote. I like that's the phrase I end up saying uh, way too often. Tell me more. Like, hey, you know, I like this part of the product experience is painful. Tell me more. Like, why is it painful? Like, what problem are you trying to solve here? So, to me, is this frankly just the ability to to ask questions, uh, be transparent about what you know, be transparent about what you don't know, and that really wins people's trust. Like when you you know when when people don't try to pretend that they are any deeper into 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 a certain domain area than they actually are. That, that's great. I, I do want to rephrase what you said, and I know it's what you said, and it's your thought, but I want to pose it a different way and see if maybe this is true. Because you said you have to admit when you have a narrow set of knowledge. But I think what you meant is that you have a narrow set of knowledge in one in area. That, yes, in that in that specific specific area. Yeah, right. but it's broad across number of different areas and domains. But it's it's really it's really this beginner's mindset in this specific field. In which case, for me, it was cybersecurity. Yeah, and I think that's important to call out. And the reason I did is because you bring things that somebody who's worked in security their whole life may not. You know, and that could be true for a lot of other people. And, and since we're such a growing industry and we have so many seats to fill, transferring your knowledge from another industry, from another role within a company could be extremely valuable if you, like you say, are humble enough and inquisitive enough to, to apply your skills to a different area and accept that you're not going to be the smartest person in the room. And, and exactly, and, and that's okay. And I guess the other thing that I would probably highlight is, uh, hmm, what was I about to say? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, it's, uh, well, so not, I guess not, not being, not being the smartest person in the room, but also, ah, uh, yeah, you know what? It just, it just left one of those things. <laughs> It'll come to you at four in the morning. It's okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just, just another comment on, on what you guys are talking about. You know, when I became an industry analyst and started to talk to seven, eight vendors a week, you know, and take all these briefings, you know, one of the things I noticed is that they would get kind of trapped in this bubble of their own language, their own messaging, you know, to where, you know, and, and, and it's one of the things that you know, I think took you aback when you first looked at the industry. It, it sounds like Ross is, is communication is so hard here. And, I just had to get used to asking all kinds of questions. Like I, I still remember when I started on uh, to do marketing, uh, and, and this is years and years ago. You know, my my first marketing stint for for a startup, and they they were talking about POVs, and I had never heard the the proof of value uh, acronym. Like we had always said proof of concept, so it was POCs. And um, first time I heard that for the first couple of days, you know, after two days, I was like. What are you guys talking about? Because to me, it's point of view. Like every time I hear POV, I, I'm I'm translating it in my head as as point of view. So I I had to learn very quickly, like not to be shy about asking questions, you know. And I found out crazy stuff, like uh, you know, terms that you thought were simple, you know, that had simple definitions, like uh, east, west, and north, south, in in terms of uh, networking inside a a network architecture or an organization. There are like five, six different definitions for north, south, and east, west, depending on who you're talking to. So you have to clarify what you mean when you start using a lot of these terms. Yeah. And 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 the other thing that I would probably highlight is 
whoever comes in, like whether they come in from a different industry or even within the same industry, but just move into the different market segment, like they have to have the willingness to put in the work. And like that, nobody, nobody can really replace that need because at the end of the day, like you have to understand what the customer's problems are. You have to understand what, what, like how they're doing their work. You have to understand the dynamics in the industry at the level at which it is necessary for you to do your job. Like if you do product, it's, it's very different than if you're a sales engineer or than if you are a marketer. But in any case, you have, like you have to do it. And for me, one of the things, and probably one of the reasons why initially I said uh, no to joining Lima Charlie was because I, I don't like doing things halfway. Like in my, in, my, in my previous life, when I was in fintech, for example, like three months after joining the, the fintech company that built uh, products for mortgage brokers, I became a licensed mortgage broker. So for me, there was there was this innate understanding that I want like I want to understand the industry, not just you know not just uh, I guess not just horizontally and like what are the different players and how it works, but also vertically. Like how does how how does it look like to underwrite a mortgage from the moment when somebody comes into into the doors of the mortgage broker to the moment when somebody walks in with their mortgage approved and their money in the bank account. So and in the same like in the same way like when I when I started at Lima Charlie like I bought like like somewhere between like forty and sixty books just reading about the space, reading about the industry, like looking at like super technical and less technical areas. Uh, like I did this security plus certification, which again, for a cybersecurity professional, it's like, it's the level of basics that nobody would even mention. But for me coming, coming out or out of the industry, like it was actually quite useful. So there is like, the, there is a lot of that where like, you have to put in the work, you have to talk to people, you have to ask questions and you like, you can't necessarily uh, do it within your like, a, traditional work week like if you're coming if you're new to the industry you have to do much much more for you to get up to speed quickly and you really do sound like you you know your stuff like i i was shocked to find out that you've only been in this industry for a couple of years uh and, and there's a couple of folks i've run into like that that just pick it up so quick you know they they you know i i can't tell them from somebody who's who's been in the industry uh for for 20 years hey can i ask a question um ross I got a chance to meet you a while back when you interviewed me for a, a piece on um, yeah. uh, investing, investing in uh, cyber. And your piece was absolutely fantastic. Deep, strong journalistic research. I want to ask, like, you seem to have a very innate ability to get up to speed on a topic very quickly and understand it thoroughly, not just at a surface level, exactly like you described. Is there a certain amount of write, the way that writing may help you solidify that in your brain is that something you think that helps you kind of that the writing and the creation of content helps you get up to speed on areas faster it does it does and honestly i think i think writing has has helped me tremendously tremendously well uh i like i am uh, you know this this might sound super buzzwordy but i am a big uh, like i'm a big believer in what jeff bezos i think he described it as uh, nobody can like nobody can write a seven like six or seven pager about the business problem and not know what they're talking about. That's why yeah. like I personally I do not like slides. I do not like slides like slide decks. They they mean nothing to me. Like it's just a bunch of numbers and 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 nice pictures for me. 
like writing is first and foremost the ability to kind of crystallize my own thinking, refine my own thinking, and build that mental model of whatever problem I am looking at. And it's and and it's only a secondary that I end up publishing some of the stuff that I I actually work on. Like and really for me, like writing didn't start as the you know as the desire to just you know have have a blog about cybersecurity. Like that that hasn't been the case for me. Writing is ju just a byproduct of me being. Uh, saying, hey, uh, there are some parts of the industry that I don't necessarily get exposure to as a part of, you know, as a part of Lima Charlie or as a part of me being at the head of product. But I'm still interested in those in, in, in those areas of the industry. Like, for example, with you, like Tyler, we talked about like we talked about the industry analyst space, which to mm -hmm. me. I, I, I know a couple of industry analysts, but I don't have, like, I've never been one. So I don't have that deep, deep understanding of, of the dynamics and how, how it functions. Like, what are the different incentive systems? What are the different, like, what are the different players in this space? And so a lot of that research I end up just doing on my own, but, but quite a bit of it comes from, from like conversations with people and asking, asking questions saying, mm -hmm. Hey, I don't know how, how this works, but I want to build that. I want to build that mental model. So writing, one hundred percent. It's 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 yeah. a, it's a super powerful tool. Yeah, no, I I agree completely. It's one of the reasons I write the cyber why, and I'm sure that's why you write venture and security. And I'd I would uh, recommend that everybody, um, all the listeners, please go subscribe to Venture and Security. You're going to get the the pieces that come out are deep tech pieces, better than you find at many many analyst firms. They're very very strong pieces, and I felt like a big portion of where you that's where you how you learn and i can almost see that in in the way you work um you know following question that i do want to dig in for a second on um kind of the other projects right because you're here representing lima charlie but you also have um you have the venture and security um um uh sub -stack, um and you're doing other things as well can you tell us a little bit about um what your favorite project is your passion project maybe I feel like I feel like they they all are at, at different like in different ways. So uh, I started a blog about a year, I think, uh, j just a bit over a year ago, and it ended up growing. Like it ended up starting as something that I just did, you know, for to share some of my research and some of my thinking, and it grew into something that I did not quite anticipate at the beginning. And so after having a couple of thousand people read and and seeing the numbers keep growing by 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 a few hundred people like all, almost every week what i came to understand is i just i simply cannot stop so i like i'm i'm continuing on and on like trying to publish like one one piece a week uh, which is my weekend project. And then I have an early morning project too, where I, you know, I, I'm a bit crazy that way. I, I wake up, I wake up at six and then from seven to nine, it's my, like, it's the time when I, when I do something else. And that's something else at this point is, is an angel syndicate. So I just, just announced, uh, an angel syndicate for uh, cybersecurity practitioners where the intent is to bring together, uh, people working in the industry, primarily as practitioners and, uh, make essentially help shape the future of the industry by making bets on the companies, on, on the early stage cybersecurity startups that are more, more like practitioner focused. And, and we can talk about the, I guess, the practitioner focused part bit, uh, a bit later, because that, that will tie in into, into this conversation about PLG. Uh, but yeah, I think so. Uh, like at this point, I'm doing a couple of things. So, uh, like the angel syndicate really try, uh, starting to, you know, like there is a lot of paperwork and a lot of bureaucracy, and and a, a lot of prep work that needs to happen. But uh, anticipating that sometime 
probably closer to uh, the end of April, the beginning of May, uh, we'll be able to start looking at some at some early stage companies. Like at this point, just talking to a bunch of security practitioners, uh, some of them uh, are from my network and others who have reached out and say, hey, you know, I want to be a part of it. And then uh, uh, blog is just, it's, it's, it's a weekly ongoing thing. Uh, Lima Charlie is the main area of focus. And I am a big, like in, a, a big champion and a big believer into a, a, into the approach we are taking and and what we are trying to do in the industry, and lastly uh, the 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 other uh, small initiative that I have I have been trying to get off the ground and so far like the the response has been absolutely uh, tremendous is uh, what I call a building cyber collective, which is really just a like it's a place where we try to match uh, well. Not really much, but bring together a cybersecurity startups, like early stage cybersecurity startups, and people from the industry who are interested in acting as advisors, and and let them connect via the double opt-in system. So just to eliminate the potential sales pitch and 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 you know spam, uh, it's double opt-in. So a startup, for example, can say, "Hey, you know, Tyler, uh, I see you're an expert in in cybersecurity product marketing." Or like I see you've been an analyst. Like we really need an advice around this. This you know the, the question X. Would it be okay to uh, to to share that advice? Then you will get an email saying, Hey Tyler, this is what they're looking for. Are you interested? If you say yes, a double opt-in email goes out. So it's a very low key, like very low tech initiative. Uh, again, like not like purely a community effort. So no no money involved whatsoever. Uh, similar to the blog uh, and. Uh, so far, like we've had, we had about 120, 130 uh, advisors uh, join, and then at this point, uh, just a bit over 60 startups. So, uh, no expectation, just just trying to add value and and connect people who may be helpful to one another. Man, I I wish I had your energy. You know, you're seeing these opportunities, you're you're going after them, and it's uh, you know, and, and it's all kind of, it seems like it's all kind of connected too. You know, and that, that's what I've noticed with uh, with a lot of the things that I do. I, I, I do a lot of stuff as well, though I'm not I'm not creating uh, some of the cool stuff that that you are. Like this this podcast is already going. You are creating. You know, you are creating quite a bit. Like not only this podcast, but I remember when we met at the conference, like you were talking about some of the research that you were doing into into different into like the the other side of the industry. That so it's 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 quite it's quite interesting. You're you're being too humble. So, and maybe one more question um, on, on while we're talking about creating and 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 being, uh, I guess you could call us creators. You know that though that brings up uh, you know thoughts of uh, people who stream on on Twitch and things like that. But um, you know, enterprise creators, maybe corporate create creators. I, I don't know the right term there. But do you worry about um, you know because I'm, I'm sure you write blog posts and things like that for Lima Charlie also. You know, now that I've started a new role and I'm going to be responsible for creating a, a lot of content, like, like, how do you worry about that creative well going dry? Or, you know, have you, have you, is there anything that you do to kind of reset your brain, you know, and, and you know, keep those ideas flowing? Or is that just not an issue that you have? Uh, I mean, honestly, what I found is, well, uh, one, I, I think, I think my my biggest challenge has been not so much the creative. Well, my biggest challenge has been uh, like compartmentalizing things. So you see, like I, I lead product at Lima Charlie, and so obviously I would like Lima Charlie to succeed. However, 
it I have to try really hard to make sure that that doesn't overflow into my content because like uh, like it's, it's entirely separate. It's my weekend project. I, I don't write about Lima Charlie. I, I don't inject it like whether it's necessary or not just because I work there. So it's those like, frankly, I think the managing like keeping those mental lines around the con potential conflict of interest and just like advocating for something for and being biased, I think that has been much harder than uh, than uh, than uh, as you've said, like the the, the creative part. Uh, regarding creativity, I think a lot of it comes down to the discipline, much more so than just being creative. And I, I I'm curious if Tyler can relate because like his Cyberwire newsletter has been one of the things that I read weekly. And unlike Tyler, I don't actually release venture insecurity on a certain day. So I like I sometimes give myself a flexibility of saying, hey, you know what? Like next week I will do it on, you know, on Wednesday versus Monday. And so like I, I still have those extra, extra few evenings where I can, you know, do some do some tweaks and stuff. But Tyler is being is being from what I from what I've observed is being mm -hmm. very precise and he releases CyberWire on Friday. And so there is much more discipline that probably goes into into his writing. I wish I wish I could say it was more disciplined. Um, I definitely have once or twice in the last handful of months had a, had had it slip to a Sunday or even a Monday. But in general, I try to release every Friday. But for me, it's interesting. One thing that caught my ear, and I know we're kind of on a weird topic for this for this podcast, but I'm going to keep going. Um, one thing that caught my ear is how you like to compartmentalize. I'm the opposite. I want all of my projects to actually tie together, and in an ideal world leverage additional value as we go through each thing. So, for example, um, uh, I have to be careful what I say here from an investment vantage point, but if like, I have certain ideas from an investment vantage point, I might research them and write them publicly in my thoughts on, on CyberY as I'm trying to research kind of where I want to put money from an investment vantage point. So um, there's lots of different ways you can um, tie it in or not tie it in. For me, I like to keep everything super interconnected. Interesting. So, see, for me, I think I I I I see where you're coming from, and frankly, I think when I say compartmentalize, I I probably use the wrong word. Like, it's more so about like managing that conflict, like potential conflict of interest between between different yeah. things I'm doing. Uh, but yeah, I I totally agree. Like for me, it has it has primarily been around around. Uh, the the business side of the industry, the investment side of the industry, the the product. And then having this more of a practitioner focus that really tie into what we do at Lima Charlie. It ties into like how we build product at Lima Charlie. It ties into like a lot of the topics that I end up researching and writing about. Because, you know, like if you like, let's just say if you're a VC, you probably know quite a bit around about the, the space of industry analysts. But if you're a security practitioner, you might not even suspect that they exist or might not, you might have your own assumptions about, you know, like, to what degree they're objective and so on. So it's there is that tie-in, there is that commonality and like the common underlying uh, foundation, but there is the complexity around like, hey, you know, this is the blog. Like I am looking at the future of the industry, and you know, even though like for example, something we do at Lima Charlie, it might very well tie in, but I'm not just going to like I, I whenever possible, I I and whenever it makes sense, I also make a disclaimer saying that hey, like this part might not exactly be objective because like I believe it and I leave it at at my work. So there is it that's that's more what I meant. Gotcha. Yeah, so so let's uh, let's move on to product-led growth. You know, it's it's definitely uh, you know speaking of of writing and content. You know, there there have been uh, there's been a lot out there. Um, 
in uh, in the last couple of years. You know, certainly recently. You know, I know on on CyberWire, I, I I very much enjoyed uh, the. You know, there there's uh, I think Tyler, you posted yours first, and then you po- posted uh, somebody wrote a uh, a retort to it, or or was it the other way around? But uh, no, I posted but, I posted mine first, and then Steve Lachance contacted okay. me because we had he was the one that inspired the original post about how PLG is, doesn't fit for cyber, and he he said, hey, I want to clap back on that, and I said, sounds awesome. Let's see if we can do a debate piece, and so he actually wrote the yeah. second piece. Nice, yeah, I yeah, you so, know so I, I, I was. Lo- no, no, yeah, for, for listeners, like, let's just uh, let's define it. You know, like the, make it sense for folks who aren't familiar with product-led growth, and, and just start there. So, how about how about I, I I offer something else? How about we talk about it? Like we we talk about like I, I'm super happy to talk about the way I see it without using the word product-led growth or words PLG or any sort of you know marketing or product terms whatsoever. And then, because you see, like my my complexity is that any conversation around PLG is like is, can get out of hand super quickly. So if we can if we can have a more more of a high level conversation, it might get easier. Yeah, no, let's do it. Did Did you want yeah, to start so, off, or you want me to start? Okay, I'm I'm happy to. Yeah. So when I uh, like, I guess before before talking about about the the, the specific go to market strategy, uh, let me just state a couple of observations that I have made about the industry. And and then we can we can quickly discuss those uh, and challenge some of them if makes sense and from there talk about the 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 the, the go to market. So I I see several things. One, I see that the number of of cybersecurity vendors is rapidly growing. I see that CISOs are overwhelmed with the number of vendors, with the number of startups uh, trying to compete for their attention and trying to get them into a demo. I also see that CISOs, and I recognize that CISOs were not hired uh, to shop for tools. Like their job is to build the, the, the company's security strategy, work on the stakeholder alignment, like work with boards, with executive teams, uh, like build teams and so on and so forth. I also see that more and more security practitioners are starting to spend time like playing with tools, setting up different, different uh, security tooling in their home labs, Trying what's out there, seeing what's what's active, uh, like staying active in the community and so on. And I also see that more and more CISOs are, at least in some of the conversations I had, uh, are saying that they tend to take recommendations uh, from their from for, for new tooling from their teams. So, for example, you know, uh, uh, a security practitioner coming in and saying, "Hey, Adrian, I know we are looking for X." Uh, to you know, to solve a specific problem in our company. So I've been playing with this tool, and it seems to do what we need. How about we take a look? So that's that's really like those are some of the observations that I I, I have I have seen, and I I wonder like uh, from your perspective, would you say that they're true, or are some of them that that uh, raise a red flag, and we want to we want to yeah, kind but- of dig deeper into? Yeah. So let me talk about it from a buyer's perspective because I, I was a buyer for a long time and, and just come at it from from the total opposite end of it and and what I was seeing um, so you know we either we well you know one of the biggest reasons we were buying stuff uh, I, I started my career at a large payment processor and I was there when PCI came out so obviously PCI forced us to do a bunch of things that we 
may not have been doing already. <laughs> so we needed to buy some tools. We needed to, to do a lot of work to get into compliance with those. You know, I think it was like 250 requirements then. Now it's more than 300 requirements. And, you know, it, it would take, I remember shopping for a SIM. And, it, you know, it would take three or four sales calls before I'd see a demo, before I'd ever even see the product. It would take an, another three or four sales calls before we could get a proof of concept of the product. Uh, I remember we did a um, uh, shootout between four different SIM products, and they sent sales engineers on site to set up these proof of concepts. We gave each of them five days. Only one of them worked at all, like like up and operational, and, and we could actually log into it after those five days. And that's the one we ended up buying. We, we, we didn't buy it because it was great. We brought it because it was the only one that worked. Their, their own SEs, their own sales engineers were not able to get the other three products from those other three vendors, even functional. And, you know, this is, this is back 2004, 2005. But, you know, I, I still see that today where you're just required to do so much work, you know, and, and too often at the end of all that work to see the product, to test out the product, it's just underwhelming. You know, it's like, yeah. why, why is this hidden, you know, behind so much secrecy? Why is there so much friction, you know, yeah. just to figure out if I'm wasting my time, you know, and then, and then on the sales and marketing side, you know, it, it's, it's just, uh, you know, the SDRs, I, I don't know if any SDRs enjoy what they do, but, you know, for me receiving cold calls and emails and LinkedIn stuff, like it's, it's unwanted. It, it's painful. It seems painful for them as well because they're just they're hearing no all day long. You know, just trying to get their their quota of meetings set up. You know, and, and sometimes people just give in. You know, just just to make people stop calling, to make people stop emailing. You know, and they, they don't even yeah. want the product. They're not a qualified lead. You know, they they just want the pain to 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 stop. So yeah, when I saw when I became aware of like the product leg growth, you know, uh, I mean, the first big thing I saw with that was, was Linux, right? You know, Linux was just, anybody could go use it. You could figure out what it was good for, what it wasn't good for. And, and, and yeah, it, it just made me think like, why would anybody do it any other way? Yeah. No, 100%. And frankly, this is like, this is precisely the reason why, like I, I wanted for, for us to start the conversation by just looking at the at, at the fundamentals, like what we see in the industry. And to me, the reason it is important is because normally when you hear the word PLG, it's technically like, it's, it's always somebody who just comes in and says, oh my God, there is that new big thing. Like, look, like the Silicon Valley is buzzing around PLG. How about we, we implement it in our company? And then there goes this entirely unreasonable and, and frankly, quite dumb uh, directive somewhere from the top saying, hey, you know, marketing people, product people, let's make our company PLG. And to me, this is where, and this is, uh, you know, and th this is where, like, I do agree with Tyler that there, there are quite a few companies that are not going to be suitable for it. And so for me, the company that wants to, like, like again, let, let, let's push, like, let's, let's once again push PLG aside. So what can a reasonably, a reasonable and a well-run company do in the conditions we've just described, where the market fundamentals are that, you know, for startups, getting CISOs into a call is not is is hard, and frankly, it's not a viable strategy. Uh, 
and and product if product can appeal to practitioners there is potentially a way they can sell it you know to their management and kick off this the, the more traditional sales process that way so in my mind the reasonable company would start by understanding their customers understanding who are they uh, what do they care about where do they hang out understanding the buying process how do they buy who is involved in those decisions how do different sides contribute to the, to that process what influence do they have and if uh, understanding if somebody in that buying process has a strong opinion about technology is there somebody that has built a habit of potentially evaluating different tools or maybe somebody who can build that build that habit if they don't have if then if they don't yet have it like what are the different incentives that come into play so for me all of those questions they are important because they inform a company they inform the strategy and they make it clear what is possible and what's not what's not possible like for example if a, if a, if a, a person evaluating the security product is a compliance manager it's less likely that they will go out and try a new tool because there is less culture of of doing so than there is for example if you look at the security architect who like literally can live in the open source world or if a hypothetical buyer is a developer uh, would they buy a security product well it sounds theoretically possible because they are the ones or they're looking at different technical solutions but 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 developers like they don't want to do security they want to code so the developer is not going to to, to go out of their way to find a, a great security product sometimes they do but in most cases they don't so to me uh, the, the fundamental challenge with plg is uh, somebody like somebody comes in and says, "Okay, you know what? There is this big thing. Let's become PLG because we want everybody to to sign up, to put in their credit card, and start paying." But fundamentally, that's like that's not how security products are purchased today, and that's not how they will be purchased. Like nobody is going to take an endpoint solution uh, and deploy it across like one hundred thousand uh, endpoints because it's it's not how security products are purchased. There is. Uh, a high reliance on trust like you you have to know what the product does you have to know how the product is built you have to know like you have to have a level of certainty that the company is going to be around tomorrow uh, there is there's just too many things that come into place so when i think about plg in the context of cybersecurity, and now I, i'm happy to reintroduce that term back uh, i think about being practitioner focused and looking for ways to make it easier for people to 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 try what you do however not everybody can accomplish it and that's okay so not everybody should should be trying to 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 strive for it that's that's like that's some of my thinking but i have much more on that topic yeah so to me what you're describing is very akin to persona-based marketing, right? So you have to know your customer, you have to know some data around them, not just who they are, but where they are, what their habits are, what the typical type of buyer, what they like, what they don't like. So does that mean with a good product-led growth initiative that you have to almost have different experiences, whether that's a product tour or a demo or whatever the case may be. Does that mean that you have to have multiple ones of those? Because most companies don't have one single persona who's their buyer. That I guess that's that's one of the ways uh, we we can talk about it. And 
I don't like again. I think like even without bringing the 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 buzzword, the PLG buzzword, into the conversation, uh, on my like in my mind, from my experience, it is reasonable to say that hey, uh, different types like different people discover our product in different ways. So let's find a way to get in front of them. For some, let's just say, like maybe one of the personas uh, who could potentially benefit from our product is is a security engineer or is is somebody who is more likely to you know to to try and see what what the tool does. Well, then the question becomes, how do we get in front of them? Maybe there's some, maybe there's some CTF competitions we can uh, we can we can uh, expose our product at, or maybe there are some uh, some practitioner focused training events that we can do. So. The one thing that is not going to work, and like whether we are talking about cybersecurity or or any other industry, is just building a cool product, creating a self sign up flow, and just hoping that somebody somebody will start like flocking into into the product and 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 and, and adopting it. Uh, to your point, uh, what are the other types of people who could uh, who could uh, who could adopt what we do? Like, how can they get exposed to it? Uh, how can how can the the leadership get exposed to what we do? There, there is a different channel, and so the I guess the, the the concept of the of the persona based marketing does tie into the overall conversation about how do we grow the business. And to me, that's that's the number one thing that that people need to answer. Not how do we become PLG, but what works for our specific industry, what works for our specific market segment, and how do we how do we do more of what works and don't do the stuff that doesn't it sounds very basic but but so many just so many companies you see like read some articles saying plg is great and they jump into it they get like they 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 fire their marketing department they reshape their sales team they bring somebody else in and it's like why why are you doing this like why don't you start by understanding what can work for you and I, I feel like there's another ingredient here uh, that I've seen, at least in examples of people who do PLG well. And it's not PLG specific, but if you're going to go the PLG route, you have to do these things well. Your your product, at least you know, for it to work well for you, your product has to be easy to implement. It has to be fairly easy to use. It's got to be like if you think of a, a consumer product. You know, the the amount that people will rip to shreds a $5 app in the app store versus what people are willing to put up with with, with a million dollar appliance or, or enterprise SaaS service is amazing to me. There's just absolutely no patience for a product that that isn't uh, well polished, you know, with, with consumer facing stuff. Uh, you, the, the budgets are different. The, the, the economics are different. You know, but then you see somebody spend a million dollars on something and it doesn't even work. And it's just like, like, you know, that that's four out of 10 things that they buy, it seems. Yeah, no, I have been looking a lot at the question around product management in general in cybersecurity. Like even if we like if you don't look at the PLG, uh, like cybersecurity I'm not going to say that cybersecurity is the only industry that has some some unique characteristics because that is not the case. If you look at biotech, if you look at defense, if you look at like if you look at automotive, like every industry functions a bit differently. It has it has some unique characteristics. But so does cybersecurity. And so in cybersecurity, the different types of customers have 
entirely different needs. So in some spaces, for example, like in many industries, what defines an enterprise version of the product versus like the SMB versus the product for the personal use is the presence of, you know, access management, SSO for better or for worse, maybe access to the audit logs and, and like access to the API. In cybersecurity, on the other hand, what a regular person needs versus what the SMB needs versus what an enterprise needs are right. entirely three different things. And so you have those you have those differences. Most of cybersecurity is enterprise sales. Most of the products are in inherently hard to evaluate. Uh, the degree to which buying a, a product relies on trust is much higher than it is in many other spaces because not only it is hard to empirically evaluate what the tool does today, but also you have to you have to take a leap of faith that this tool is going to be there tomorrow against an entirely unknown threat that you cannot even forecast the existence of today. So there, there are many ways in which cybersecurity is, is, is a fairly unique space and companies uh, trying to define a go-to-market strategy, like they, they have to account for it. Like whether they're, they're trying to take a pillage route or not, uh, it's like it's just like the fundamentals of understanding your market and understanding the customer. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Tyler, I'd love to get your thoughts here, but I, I feel like a lot of uh, in, in you too, Katie, a, a lot of what we're talking about isn't necessarily specific to product led growth. Like a lot of the stuff we've talked about, you know, uh, uh, understanding your ICP, you know, the, the personas, who you're selling to, what they what they actually need. Uh, understanding the customer, like like that's just important. Period. You know, wh whether you want to build a large outbound sales and marketing program or have have none of that and, and do entirely PLG, like I feel like a lot of the qualities we're talking about are just things that you need to do. Like like you need to fundamentally build a good product that that's easy to use. You know, isn't terribly buggy and and is easy for people to to get up and working with, and also just understanding what the product is. As an industry analyst, I can't tell you how excited I would get sometimes when I could find a screenshot of the product, like like best day ever. If I can find a screenshot of the product, I can better understand what it does. And for some companies, it's incredibly hard. Like, forget a demo, forget freemium or, or like actually running it in my environment. Just seeing a screenshot of what the UI looks like uh, is a huge challenge for some of these companies for me. <coughs> Sorry, I coughed right into that ending. Um, I totally agree with you. You know, I, I, I think all in all, if we look at the bulk of the startup, small to mid-sized businesses in cybersecurity, most of them, most of them are two people in a garage, right? Two tech people with a great idea, get some seed funding because there's so much money sloshing around. Still, even in the downturn, there's so much money sloshing around cyber that they come up with an idea, they, they create a little bit of traction and get themselves a bunch of money. And then they say, okay, great. Now, what's our market? What's our position? What's our message? How do we do the GTM? Vast majority of the younger companies I talk to have no idea how to build a go-to-market. They just don't. It's just not something they're, they're, they've been product people their whole lives. Their previous CISOs now creating a product, and they just don't understand how to build the business. And I think it's a massive gap in our market. And I don't know if that's unique to our market or if that's high tech, high growth in a general sense of the word, but there's definitely a gap for um, that type of skill set. It's one of the skill sets that, that my firm tends to bring to the table for those younger companies is that, that go-to-market experience. 
I think you you sort of hit the nail on the head, and I think the misconception of product-led marketing is that, oh, you just let the product speak for itself. That's not what product-led growth is. That's not what it means. You have to have an understanding of your market and how to reach people. But the reality is now versus 10 years or 20 years ago, people are spending months ahead of time doing their own research before they want to talk to a salesperson. You know, I used to be in sales and you could actually call people and you'd get people on the phone. Uh, I don't think you can do that anymore. Nobody wants to talk on the phone. Sending emails is not super effective. You know, I know when we get emails within our company for people soliciting us that sometimes people will post them and make jokes about just how bad they are because it's a spray and pray approach. And if you can't understand marketing, if you can't understand targeting, if you can't understand what your position in the market is and your product differentiation, your product isn't going to speak for itself and your and your sales tactics, no matter what they are, are not going to work. So you have to be smart about marketing and you can't just say, well, we're going to build it and they will come. This is not field of dreams. That's not how it works. You have to be really smart and systematic about how you go through building that product led growth marketing plan, because it's not just here, try my product. And I think that's a that's a huge misunderstanding. You know, I can't talk about other industries. I'm sure it's that way too, but a huge misunderstanding, especially in the cybersecurity industry. And Adrian, to something you said, you know, screenshots uh, go a long way. You know, everybody's so keen on getting these great websites with cool graphics that they forget that when people are doing research, they need to be able to differentiate for themselves. They don't want to have to read through buzzwords. They don't want to have to guesstimate on what you're doing. They want to be able to see it. And you're not giving away your secret sauce if you're more clear. I know there's SEO. I know there's analyst coverage. But you're not giving away your secret sauce, your intellectual property, if you're clear on what your product does without the buzzwords. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. And frankly, like I have, you know, I can talk a lot about this whole concept that I, I, I discuss quite often. And I wrote a bunch of blog articles at uh, Venture Insecurity. It's about the, the, the idea of moving from the promise-based into the evidence-based security. You know, where there was a time when a company would come into the, to the vendor and say, hey, vendor, I need something to, to make me safe. And then the vendor would sell this amazing product where they press the red button, it activates shield, and now they're good. Now they're safe. Like fast forward into 2023, we know that that is not how security works. And 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 having having the, the, the products, having the components that play well with others that can be can be evaluated, can be can be tested, can be uh, can be assessed, uh, can be inter like can function like in, in the way that's interoperable and and can be integrated with other tooling is important. So to me, I, I I like again. I don't necessarily think you know. See, I, I'm not a big. I'm, I'm a product guy, and as as a, as a very pragmatic person who does a lot of also uh, uh, work with with early stage startups. And by the way, I absolutely agree with you, Tyler, around the the the, the typical the typical uh, cybersecurity founder persona. But I do I do see a lot of this too. And and the idea that that PLG is amazing is very appealing to people who 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 think that, well, we can just keep building and then the customers will just come because we've got the new cool technology. And unfortunately, that is not the case. And companies to, who need to, like companies that are looking to succeed, companies that are looking to grow, 
and and build a sustainable go to market strategy like have to have to look at what works have to try different things and look at what works making the product accessible is a great idea making the product easy to try is a great idea but at the end of the day they're in it to build to build a company to build a solution to the problem and to build a business on top of that solution so that they can they can continue solving other problems that are adjacent to 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 what they started with and unless they build that sustainable go to market strategy whether it's true plg or whether it's not true plg if it is more suitable for their specific market like they won't be able to sustain themselves yes yeah, so, so to... <laughs> go ahead Go ahead, Ross. Uh, uh, sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I know that initially, like, if you look from the outside, like somebody like coming with the head of product title and with the product hat, uh, like you probably naturally. Exp and, and also, I do talk a lot about PLG. Like, I, I wrote like seven or eight uh, or even more posts about it. Like, it, you probably naturally expect me to be like, hey, you know what? Forget about everything. Here is PLG. But I'm a much more reasonable human than that. <laughs> So, you know, in, in the vein of things that work for everyone, um, you know, as, as we wrap up here, Ross, uh, wh where would you point people to 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 get those fundamentals? I mean, you've you've already thrown out some great tips, you know, making it easier for people to learn about your product um, stuff that seems obvious, but uh, but apparently has to be said. But um, uh, other than your your blog is obviously a, a good source for a lot of this stuff. Uh or, or your your newsletter, which you know you can read as a blog. That's that's the thing I love about newsletters now is it, it's flexible. But where where would you point people to for those fundamentals? Ah, uh, I mean, frankly, I don't like I don't think there is like th there isn't a lot about specifically PLG in cybersecurity. I mean, there is there is enough, but but a lot of it has has some agenda behind it and people trying to either sell a certification or sell a course. I think fundamentally, uh there's some like basics of, basics of product management that are useful. Uh, there's some great books. Uh, what comes to mind? Oh, <laughs> uh, I you know. I I feel I feel like I I've been reading just so much that I'm I'm having a, a, having trouble just shortlisting a, a certain book. Uh, there is there is a lot. There is I, I think there is a there is an institution called like either Product Led Alliance or something similar like Product Led org or Product Led com. They they have a lot of materials around metrics and around like the 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 approach itself. Uh, but fundamentally, like honestly, I think picking up any any book about the go-to-market strategy is great. Like I like uh, obviously awesome. It's a fantastic book about positioning in general. Uh, like incredibly, incredibly useful. Uh, in the context of product, there's so many YouTube videos uh, where there, there are institutions such as Product School that put in a lot of content. Reforge, uh, which is uh, like a Silicon Valley-based, like a bootcamp and, and school run by by uh, practitioners. There is a lot, and frankly, I think what's even more more useful than uh, than uh, than uh, reading books is trying and seeing what works, and like yeah. being very methodical about it. Always be A/B testing. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard. Like it's hard to A/B test when you're at an early stage because, frankly, if you have like right. 100 people visiting your website, like what can you it's even not test? Enough. Yeah, but like 
talking to your peers, seeing what has worked, and talking to people like talking to people outside of those like shiny great conferences and events where everybody comes in with a great slide deck and says how awesome everything is and how we've implemented this fantastic framework. Because what what many people will find is if they catch speakers in a more of a private setting and ask them, hey, how did this really go? the story is going to be quite different. So it's being able to understand that there are no silver bullets and the vast majority of the companies that are successful, they were successful because they were, they were trying different things. They were, they were doubling down on what works, cutting losses and, 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 and not doing the stuff that doesn't. And, and none of them were hopeful. Like all, all of them were looking for, for some evidence that some, that a certain approach works. And sometimes you have to be persistent enough before you can see the results, but that's why there is no science. And that's why the go to market strategy is such a, is such a fascinating area. And that's why people like, uh, that's why I know I will have a job in this industry or, or in any other with chat GPT or, or any other advances, like you still need to you still need to figure out how to bring the product to, to market and it's both an art and a science wonderful well ross you are obviously awesome and thank you for joining us in enterprise security weekly today this has been a, a really fun chat thank you so much it's thanks team all right well we'll be back in a few moments with the weekly enterprise news <laughs>